It's a privilege for me to be able to um, share the word with you this morning. And we are continuing working our way through Romans chapter 8. And this week we actually come to the end of the chapter. And there is so much packed into these last 13 verses. So much that pastors could preach entire series of sermons just on these 13 verses. And I'm sure many already have and many will to come. So how then do we cover everything that is packed into this little passage here and understand the depth of what Paul is trying to say to us in just one sermon? Well, this morning we're going to focus in on one statement that Paul makes, and we're going to look at how that statement relates to us and how it relates to God. And that one statement is found actually a couple of different times, but we first see it in verse 37 when Paul writes, in all these things. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Well, last week, Pastor Eddie pointed out to us that the section of Romans that comes right before our passage, Paul is speaking actually in the future tense, and he's talking about this hope that is to come. But throughout Romans 8, Paul actually bounces between past, present, and future tenses, bounces back and forth. Well, why does he do that? Paul is trying to remind the people of God that he was writing to, but also trying to remind us that God, from the beginning of time to this present moment, to all of the moments in the future, God is, God was, and God will be. God never changes. And this is really important for us to remember as we take a look at our passage. We're going to be in Romans 8, beginning with verse 26. And I'm going to read the passage in its entirety. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things worked together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, he will not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
who is to condemn it? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, I say, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord, and we are grateful for it today. Well, we hear this passage frequently at at funerals, and it's um, understandable as to, to why, Just like we hear 1 Corinthians 13, frequently at weddings. But at times we don't recognize that these passages are for our everyday lives just as much as they are for those times of joy or sorrow. But Paul in this passage is speaking in great detail about suffering that we experience. And if we have learned anything in these last few months, it's that we are all grieving something. In some way, some form or fashion, we are all grieving. We are all walking through some level of suffering. But our suffering is not meaningless. Because even in the midst of our suffering, there is hope. And that's what we heard last week from Pastor Eddie. But how do we know? How do we know that we know that we know there is hope? How can we know that? Well, uh, there are three ways that we see in this passage to discover this truth. The first thing we discover is, in all these things, God. In this passage, Paul lists the extent of human experience. He addresses our weaknesses, our suffering, our sin, hardship, persecution, struggles, famine, even death. And what is the conclusion that Paul comes to at the end of all these things? God. Paul uses the phrase, in all these things, or that all things, multiple times in this passage. And the next statement that follows is always an expression of who God is. His faithfulness to his people. In all of these things, there is God. It all begins and ends with God. Romans 8, as Pastor Eddie expressed last week, is like Paul's magnum opus. This is his beautiful description of what life looks like when God is at the center of life. When the Spirit of God is filling your life. And it begins in verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God, 
and then he continues. And as you continue reading throughout Romans 8, these phrases are repeated over and over again. For God, to God, by God, of God, it is God. And this is important for us to remember. All that we have is from God. The freedom we discover, the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, hope and joy and love and peace, all of it is from God and God alone. We did not do anything to earn it. And we cannot try even harder to earn it even more. God in his immensely deep, deep love for us has given it to us freely. The beauty of this passage is the assurance that in the midst of it all, God is. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your joy, in the midst of your rejoicing, your grief, your sorrow, your mistakes, God is right there. He has not abandoned you. Even when you can't see it or feel it, God is there and God is at work. He is actively working to accomplish redemption in the world and in his people. God's plan always has been and always will be restoring and redeeming life. Well, the second thing that we discover is in all these things, there is victory. Does Paul really mean that? Victory? Really? Does Paul understand what we're going through? Does he understand the depth of our pain or our suffering or our grief or the depth of our sin? And he's saying that there is victory in all of those things? Well, Paul does understand those things. If you, if you read about the life of Paul, he understands it all. He understands hardship and struggle and sin. And yet in the middle of all of those things, he has discovered something. He not only discovered it, he experienced it, the victory that is found in Christ. In verse 35, Paul asks a question that he already knows the answer to because he has learned the answer through experience. Hear verse 35 again in the Passion Translation. It says this, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Now it's not that in this passage that Paul is trying to gloss over suffering. Paul is familiar with pain. He is familiar with suffering. Many of his letters were written from prison. 
He understands suffering. But he is addressing how the people of God can live faithfully in the midst of the suffering. So how do we live faithfully and victoriously in the midst of our suffering? We rest and trust in God. Remember, in all these things, God. God is at work, and God will work all of this for good. Verse 28, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives, for we are his loved children who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. But what does Paul mean when he is talking about God working together for good? He is talking about the highest and best good that God has for us. But what does that look like? To love God, be loved by God, and to be transformed into his image. That is God's highest and best good for his people. That we would love him, that we would be loved by him, and that we would become more like him. Our suffering does not have the last word. Our mistakes do not have the last word. Our failures do not have the last word. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, some of you, like Paul, have learned this through your own experiences. You have experienced the victory that comes from a settled heart and mind that knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved and that you can be victorious. But some of you still struggle to believe this. And I think if we were all honest, we would all admit that at times, this has been hard to fully grasp. We struggle sometimes to believe that we can actually overcome, that God truly, truly, deeply loves us. Because sometimes we believe that our, our past or even our present mistakes disqualify us from experiencing God's victory or experiencing God's love. Well, this past week, our teens participated in something called Victory Camp Live. The entire um, eastern region, um, all of the districts together, gathered together and put together um, services that we had that took place um, throughout the week. And we actually focused on victory. And each night we talked about a different aspect of victory that we could find in Christ. But on Monday night, we focused on victory in Christ. And Pastor Tito Rivera, 
who was one of the pastors on the Metro New York district, said something so powerful, and it beautifully expresses what Paul is trying to tell us here in such an amazing way, and I told him, I'm stealing that, and he said, go ahead. So, here it is. He said this, you are not too broken. You are not too far gone. Nothing can disqualify you from finding victory through Christ. Let me say that again. You are not too broken. You are not too far gone. Nothing can disqualify you from finding victory in Christ. What a beautiful thing that is for us this morning. No matter what life throws at you, no matter how much life tries to squeeze you or break you or trap you or chase you down, seeking to destroy you, no matter what life tries to take, you are more than conquerors. God will not turn his back on you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. No, none of that. As you walk through your struggles and your pain and your mistake and your brokenness, God wants to pour out his deep love upon you to give you the strength to persevere and become victorious. You are victorious, and you are loved. The third thing we discover is that in all of these things, there is love. In all these things, love. Verse 38, hear it again. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in this universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through Jesus. Paul isn't saying this because he has a hunch or a feeling or he hopes that this is actually true. No. Again, he has learned this from experience. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves, period. It's who God is. It's part of his character. You cannot separate the two. And so he can say with confidence that there is nothing in this world that will separate us from God's love. 
I say amen to that. Thank you, Jesus. When life feels like it is closing in on us and when we become anxious or fearful or begin to doubt, God doesn't shake his head and walk away. He doesn't throw his hands in the air out of frustration. He will not abandon you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. It is the power of God's love that even gives us the ability to walk through the difficulties that we face in life. Without his love in my heart, I don't know how I could live this life. I can't do it without him. His love is all-encompassing and never-ending. It is the kind of love that will chase us down. It's the kind of love that, as we read in Scripture, leaves the 99 and goes looking for the one that is lost. That is the kind of love that God has for us. It's the kind of love that goes to the cross and endures the suffering and the pain of a criminal's death because he loves you and he loves me. This is the love that can never be taken away from you, ever. This is the love that God desires to share with the world. It is for everyone. But sometimes we put qualifiers on God's love, don't we? On who God loves or how God loves. God, God must only love the ones that have it all together. God only loves the ones that don't mess up as much as I do. God can't possibly love me because fill in the blank. God loves the ones who look like me or talk like me or think like me. We are the ones that make these qualifiers. God does not make these distinctions. What do we read in John 3.16? For God so loved the world. The world. The whole world. That includes those who have made mistakes. Those that mess up. Those that don't look like me or talk like me or think like me. He sees beyond all of that beyond all that we have done, beyond our mistakes, beyond our failures, beyond our doubts, beyond our fears, our hurt and our pain. And he says, I love you forever and always. God is a God of deep, extreme love that will go to any length on our behalf our sufferings, our mistakes, don't have the last word. God has the last word. And that word is love. But life is hard. But when you know that you know that you know that God's love is real, that God's love is for you, 
it changes everything. It changes our lives. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see others. And when we live like we are loved, something beautiful happens. Then we get to join God in his redemption work in this world. We can go into a world that does not fully know God's love story and tell them about this unconditional love of God, about the victory that we have over sin and death, about the abundant life that God wants to give us right now and in eternity with him. And we can tell others that there is no reason to fear because in all these things, God, period. That's how we believe it. That's how we can trust it. We come back to the beginning. In all these things, there is God. And we can trust that there is nothing that can separate us from God. We can trust that in all of these things, we will be victorious. Because the truth about God's love and faithfulness in the past and the promised hope for the future where God's love is fully realized, we can know that, and in the present, we can live like we are loved, like we are more than conquerors right now. Mary Hinkle Shore says, together, the actions of God, past, present, and future, on our behalf, testify to a fierce, compassionate love from which nothing in all creation can separate us. You can have hope in the midst of your suffering and pain, in the midst of your brokenness and mistakes, a hope that can never be taken away because nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. And if we truly believe this, that it is possible to live without fear. It is possible to live without guilt or shame. It is possible to live victoriously. It's not just some dream or some imagination that happens over here. Right now, in this moment, you can live victoriously because of the love of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come. I have a question for you, though. Do you really know that love? Have you fully accepted that love? Do you really believe that you are loved like that? Are you absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt deep within your soul 
Can you say that God loves you? I cannot think of a better day to say yes to that kind of love. To open up your heart and allow him to overwhelm you with his love for you. Maybe you just need to be reminded that he loves you. Maybe you know it's true, but you haven't let yourself become fully overtaken by his love. Can you hear his whisper this morning? He's taking your face in his hands. He's lifting up your head so that you can see. my child I chose you I am choosing you I love you and there is absolutely nothing nothing on earth nothing in heaven nothing in hell nothing you have ever ever done or ever will do that will keep me from loving you today truly and deeply I see you bow your heads here in your presence today and we are overwhelmed by your love for us for some of us Lord we have yet to fully experience the depth of that love for some of us Lord we just needed a reminder of just how high and how deep and how wide and how long your love is for us. May we soak that in today. Help us to stop resisting and rejecting your love. Instead of resisting, God, we want to receive. We want to know it deep within our souls, to be convinced, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love us, fully and completely love us. Help us to do that today, Lord. Then would you help us, Lord, to share your love with those that we come in contact with? As we look out into our world, God, we see a world that needs to know. They need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them. 
Would you help us to be an expression of your love to the world? We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you that you will never leave us. We thank you that your love pursues us. It chases us down. May we rest in your love today. May we leave this service this day with a renewed confidence in the love you have for us. And may we tell and may we show the world what this love is all about. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And now may you go. And may you know deeply and truly the depth of love that God has for you today. Go in his love.